And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hodnell. This is the Ken Hodnell Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Get way to the old west in the most haunted city in the country. Well, today's May the 8th, 128th day of the year. 237 days remain to the year's over with. And in regard to holidays and observances, it's National Have a Coke Day. Though personally, I like Diet Dr. Pepper. It's Reward Yourself Day. Will you indulge in some self-care? Free Trade Day. Irish Day. Jamestown Day. Reflect on colonialism and life in 17th century Virginia, where my ancestors helped settle Jamestown. National Amyloidosis uh, Day. National Animal Disaster Preparedness Day. Case of a national disaster, what do you do with your pets? National Coconut Cream Pie Day. National Dakota Day. National Give Somebody a Cupcake Day. National Maria Day. Honor the 18th most popular name in the country. National Meeting Planners Appreciation Day. National Nova Day. National Report Government Contractor Fraud Day. I have nothing happens. They're usually related to the people that make the decisions. You know, brother-in-laws and sister-in-laws and cousins have to have jobs, too. National Student Nurse Day. National Women's Checkup Day. Uh, no Socks Day. A time of remembrance and reconciliation for those who lost their lives during World War II. Truman Day. Harry was... Former haberdasher who became president. Victory in Europe Day. White Lotus Day. Celebrates Theosophists and commemorates uh, the death of the co-founder of the Theosophical Society. World Donkey Day. Yes, talk to, to your member of Congress. This is their day. World Ovarian Cancer Day. And Red Cross Day and Red Crescent Day. Well, that having been said, you know, in 453 B.C., the spring and autumn period, the House of Zhao defeats the House of Zi, ending the Battle of Jinyang, the attack of between the elite families of the state of Jin. 413 A.D., Emperor Honorius signs an edict providing tax relief to the Italian provinces of Tuscia, Campania, Princenum, Sendium, Apulia, Locania, and Calabria, which were plundered by the Visigoths. 589, Ricard I opens the Third Council of Toledo, marking the entry of Visigothic Spain into the Catholic Church. 1360, Treaty of Bretigny, drafted between King Edward III of England and King John II of France, also known as King John the Good. I bet his mother didn't call him that. 1373, Julian of Norwich, a Christian mystic anchoress, uh, experiences the deathbed visions described in her Revelations of Divine Love on the state. In the state in 1429, Joan of Arc lifts the siege of Orleans, turning the tide of the Hundred Years' War. 1450, Kinishmen revolt against King Henry VI. 1516, a group of imperial guards led by Trina Dusan, murdered emperor 
Lu Trang Duc fled, leaving the capital of Thang Long undefended. 1541, Hernando de Soto stops near present-day Walls, Mississippi, and sees the Mississippi River. Uh, at that point in time, the Spanish knew it as the Rio de Espiritu Santo, named given it by Alonso Alvarez de Pineda in 1519. They didn't report seeing any steamboats. 1608, a newly nationalized silver mine in Scotland at uh, Hilderston, West Lothian, reopened by Beepis Bulmer. 1639, William Coddington uh, founds uh, Newport, Rhode Island. 1758, the the Maratha Empire uh, captures Peshawar from the Durrani Empire in the Battle of Peshawar. The Maratha Empire was extended to its further distance away from Pune that it ever reached, over 1,200 miles, almost to the borders of Afghanistan. 1788, King Louis XVI of France attempts to impose the reforms of Antoine Charles de Lomonier de Brienne by abolishing the parliaments. 1794, branded a traitor during the reign of terror, French chemist Antoine Levisier, who was also a tax collector with the Fermi General, is tried, convicted, and guillotined in one day in Paris. Now, doing it that way cut down on the appeals, certainly. 1821, Greek War of Independence. The Greeks defeat the Turks at the Battle of Grava in 1842. A grain train derails and catches fire in Paris. Killed between 52 and 200 people. 1846, Mexican-American War. American forces led by Zachary Taylor defeat a Mexican force north of the Rio Grande in the first major battle of the war. 1877, at Gilmore's Gardens in New York City, the first Westminster Kennel Club dog show opens up. 1886, pharmacist John Pemberton first sells a carbonated beverage called Coca-Cola as a patent medicine. Uh, I am told in the beginning it had uh, a little bit of cocaine in it. 1898, the first games in the Italian Football League system were played on this date. 1899, the Irish Literary Theater in Dublin produced its first play. 1902, in Martinique, Mount Pele erupts, destroying the town of St. Pierre and killing over 30,000 people. Only a handful of residents survived the blast. 1912, Paramount Pictures is founded. They made silent movies, don't you know? 1919, Edward George Honey proposes the idea of a moment of silence to commemorate the armistice of uh, November 11, 1918, which ended World War I. 1921, the creation of the Communist Party of Romania took place on this date. 1924, the Klaipeda Convention is signed, formally incorporating a Klaipeda region uh, into Lithuania. 1927, attempting to make the first non-stop transatlantic flight from Paris to New York, French war heroes charged in Gessier and uh, Francois Coilly disappear after taking off aboard the White Bird biplane. 1933, Mohandas Gandhi begins a 21-day fast of self-purification and launched a one-year campaign to help the Harihan movement. 1941, World War II, the German Luftwaffe launches a bombing raid on Nottingham and Derby on this date. In 42, on this date, the German 11th Army begins Operation Trappenjag 
or Bustard Hunt as it was known, and destroys the bridgehead of the three Soviet armies defending the Kerch Peninsula. In 42, on this date also, the Battle of the Coral Sea comes to an end with the Imperial Japanese Navy aircraft carrier aircraft attacking and sinking the U.S. Navy uh, aircraft carrier Lexington. The uh, Also on 42, gunners for the Ceylon and Garrison Artillery on Horsburg Island in the Cocos Islands rebel and Cocos Island mutiny. The mutiny was crushed and three of them were executed, the only British Commonwealth soldiers to be executed for mutiny during the Second World War. The, um, for those that don't remember history, the Battle of the Coral Sea was a major naval battle between Japanese Navy and uh, the naval and air forces of uh, the U.S. and Australia. The the Japanese had decided to invade and occupy Port Mosby in New Guinea and Tulagi in the southeastern Solomon Islands. The uh, both sides suffered heavy aircraft losses and carriers sunk or damaged. They uh, both uh, forces disengaged and retired from the area because of the loss of cover uh, carrier aircraft cover uh, the admiral in charge of the Japanese forces re- recalled the Port Mosby invasion fleet and although the battle was a tactical victory for the Japanese in terms of ships sunk it was a strategic victory for the Allies first time since the start of the war that a major Japanese advance had been turned back and more importantly the damage to the two of the uh, two uh, Shokaku, one of the carriers and aircraft losses of uh, Zukaku, prevented both ships from participating in the Battle of Midway the next month. 1945. On this date, the German instrument of surrender signed in Berlin, Karl's horse, comes into effect. And also in 45, ended the Prague, uh, uh, the Prague uprising, celebrated uh, now as a national holiday in the Czech Republic. Also on this date, hundreds of Algerian civilians <coughs> killed by French Army soldiers in the Satif Massacre. And on this date, the Halifax riots start when thousands of civilians and servicemen rampage through Halifax, Nova Scotia. They were not happy campers. 1946, Estonian schoolgirls, Aliz Jogay and Agita Pavel, blow up the Soviet memorial, which preceded the bronze soldier of Tallinn. In 1950, the Tolan man is discovered in a peat bog near Silkeborg in Denmark. For those who are not familiar with the Tolan man, a nationally mummified corpse of a man who lived during the 5th century BC. That was during the period characterized in Scandinavia as the pre Roman Iron Age. It's found in 1950, preserved in a uh, as a bog body near Silkeborg on the Jutland Peninsula in Denmark. His physical features are so well preserved he was mistaken for a recent murder victim. Twelve years before his discovery, another bog body, a legal woman, was uh, found in the, the same bog. The cause of death was determined to be by hanging. Scholars believe the man was a human sacrifice rather than an executed criminal because of the position of the bodies 
And his um, eyes and mouth being closed. When you start digging, you know what you're going to dig up. Uh, in 1957, South Vietnamese President Ngo Dinh Diem began a state visit to the U.S. That was his, uh, the U.S. at that time was his regime's main sponsor. 1963, South Vietnamese soldiers of the Roman Catholic President Ngo Dinh Diem opened fire on Buddhists, uh, defying a ban on the flying of the Buddhist flag in, on uh, Vasak. They killed nine and sparked a Buddhist crisis. 1967, the Philippine province of Davao is split in three. Davio del Norte, Davio del Sur, and Davio Oriental. 1970, the Beatles released their 12th and final studio album called Let It Be. 1972, Vietnam War, President Nixon announces his order to place naval mines in major North Vietnamese ports in order to stem the flow of weapons and other goods to that nation. 1973, a 71-day standoff between federal authorities and the American Indian Movement members occupying the Pine Ridge Reservation at Wounded Knee, South Dakota, ends with the surrender of the militants. 1976, the roller coaster of the revolution. The first steel roller coaster with a vertical loop opens at Six Flags Magic Mountain. 1978, the first descent of Mount Everest without supplemental oxygen by Reinhold Mesner and Peter Habler. 1980, the World Health Organization confirms eradication of smallpox. Oh, if only... 1984, Corporal Dennis Lorte enters the Quebec National Assembly and opens fire, kills three and wounds 13. René Javert, charged in arms of the Assembly, succeeds in calming him, for which he later gets the Cross of Valor. 1984, the USSR announces a boycott upon the Summer Olympics at Los Angeles, later joined by 14 other countries. Also on this date in 84, the Thames Barrier is officially open, preventing the floodplain of most of Greater London from being flooded except under extreme circumstances. 1987, the SAS kills eight provisional Irish Republican Army volunteers and civilians during an ambush in Lugal in Northern Ireland. 1988, a fire at Illinois Bell's Hensdale Central Office triggers an extended 1AESS network outage, once considered to be the Worst telecommunications disaster in U.S. telephone industry history. 1997, China Southern Airlines Flight 3456 crashes on approach to Bio and International Airport, kills 35. 2019, British 17-year-old Isabel Holdaway is reported to be the first patient ever to get a genetically modified aphasia therapy to treat a drug-resistant infection. And in 2021... Car bomb explodes in front of a school in Kabul, capital city of Afghanistan. Kills at least 55 and wounds over 150. You know, the, the cowards that do these uh, car bombs are um, certainly um, lacking in uh, the intestinal fortitude. Now, I had talked at great length, actually about um, the fact that there have been unidentified flying objects for millennia. In fact, the um, let's see, find my notes. 
you know, here in this country in the 1800s, now I'm going to talk later about the fact that there have been UFOs uh, interacting with uh, humans as far back as you want to look. In fact, Alexander the Great was assisted in some of his battles by UFOs. Now, the 1800s had several very interesting cases concerning UFOs, including two that involved uh, Thomas Jefferson, who served as president, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, vice president from 1797 to 1800 and president from 1801 to 1809. Now, when the first of these cases occurred, 1800, Jefferson was also president of the American Philosophical Society. That had been established in 1743 by Benjamin Franklin and a number of other founding fathers. It was America's first organization entirely devoted to learning and scholarship. Its members included some of the period's brightest minds, and a lot of scholars argued that members were particularly interested in the subject of UFOs and possible extraterrestrial life. On June 30, 1880, Jefferson got a strange communication from George Dunbar, plantation owner and amateur astronomer in Natchez, Louisiana, containing what may be America's first documented UFO sighting. Now, Dunbar was known for his engineering and scientific talents, so he was interested in astronomy, so much so he built an observatory in 1799 near his home in uh, Natchez, and regarding the celestial events, he was certainly not disinterested or untrained. The event that he related happened the night of April 5th, 1880. A phenomenon, he said, was seen to pass Baton Rouge on the, that night. He said a number of witnesses saw a holy luminous flying object the size of a house moving incredibly fast at an altitude of about 200 feet. And as the object, which was red in color, passed overhead, nighttime turned to daytime for the group of spectators that was observing the flight. And around the area where they were standing, they felt the effect of sunbeams. In other words, they felt heat. But if they had looked away from their immediate area, they saw the darkness and the stars in the night sky. And in addition to the beams of light that Bleefully illuminated the area as the object passed overhead. They also felt considerable heat, but no sensation of an electrical charge in the area. Now, traveling rapidly from the southwest to the northeast, the object was above them for only seconds before it could be seen in diminishing size off in a distance. And then suddenly the area around the spectators was hit by what was probably a sonic boom. Immediately after it disappeared, in the northeast, according to Dunbar, a violent rushing sound was heard, as if the phenomenon was bearing down the forest before it, and in a few seconds a tremendous crash was heard, similar to that of the of a piece of ordnance going off. Now, the assumption was the object crashed. Although Dunbar expressed his frustration not receiving any word of whether the object itself was found, he said a considerable portion of the surface of the earth was found broken up and every vegetable body burned or greatly scorched. But not a single mention was ever made of the recovery of any fragments of the object. So the question became, could it be a 
landing rather than a crash. Now, a number of historians who've looked at this particular case um, don't believe the object was a meteor. Uh, one of the comments made was if the observation of the object's size anywhere near accurate, it wasn't a meteorite. An object of this size entering Earth's atmosphere at a speed typical of objects falling to Earth from space would probably have left a much larger trace of itself and almost certainly have killed the observer and anybody else near the fall. Scientists currently gauge the size of the iron meteor that created Arizona's meteor crater, for example, which is 50 meters, only about twice the estimate reported by Dunbar. Now, calculations were made based on Dunbar's description of the incident, and uh, it was determined the object was moving at a speed of about 2,200 uh, kilometers per hour, which is about 1,370 miles per hour, far below the minimum speed of a meteor free-falling to Earth in space, which would be about 11,000 kilometers per hour, according to the write-up, if it was a house-sized object coming in at meteoric, a meteoric speed would have been a huge event with no survivors for miles flattened trees and laid waste to the surrounding area now in June issue of June 1968 issue of Science Magazine William Powers suggested although most historians and scientists consider the Dunbar account describes a meteor he said we can't be sure he said he was especially impressed with the that the object was rectangular in shape, according to a sketch drawn by Dunbar, and wasn't rounded like most meteors are, having come through the incredible heat and pressure of the Earth's atmosphere. Unfortunately, though, that's all that's known about what may have been the first documented sighting of a UFO in the newly minted U.S. of A. Even less is known about Thomas Jefferson's second brush with a Strange visitor from outer space, which happened in 1813, 13 years later. Now, four years after leaving the White House, Jefferson got a strange communication regarding a possible UFO sighting from two gentlemen who identified themselves as Edward Hansford and John Clark, saying they wanted uh, him to give his opinion on the following extraordinary case. It's unusual and that the UFO seemed to be shape-shifting several times as it moved across the sky, sometimes appearing to be turtle-shaped and later becoming more elongated like a human skeleton. Now, in their letter from Portsmouth, Virginia, dated uh, July 31, 1813, they wrote an hour, the hour on the night of the 25th of July. They saw in the south a ball of fire full as large as the sun, which was frequently obscured within the space of 10 minutes by smoke emitted from its own body. But ultimately it re retained its brilliance in from that period, uh, but with apparent agitation. Stories have identified Edward Hansford as the keeper of the Washington Tavern in the town of Portsmouth, Virginia. Hansford later became the harbor master for the North Fork and Portsmouth District. John Clark was a native of Newport, Rhode Island, who'd recently been discharged as a master, a midshipman in the U.S. Navy. Later became a sea captain in Baltimore, where he was living at the time he died. 
Now, the letter about their strange sighting is today in the papers of Thomas Jefferson at the Library of Congress, designated as Edward Hansford to Thomas Jefferson, 0731-1813. It's even available online. Scholars categorize the topic of the letter as an atmospheric phenomenon. No evidence exists in documents that Jefferson ever responded to the letter in any manner and he took any sort of action to investigate the phenomenon described. The secret society known as the Freemasons, with whom Jefferson frequently associated, has long been suspected of having a strong interest in the topic of extraterrestrial life. I mean, let's face it, they could get new members. Although no documents exist to prove Jefferson was ever a member of the Freemasons, he was certainly surrounded and certainly heavily influenced by members of that society, including George Washington, John Hancock, Benjamin Franklin, Paul Revere, Many members of the American Philosophical Society, including Franklin, wonder, were high order Freemasons. In the Library of Congress, there's a painting of Washington dressed in Freemason garb, surrounded by symbols of Freemasonry, including what looks like a flying saucer hovering in the sky above him. Even though they've long been a subject of conspiracy theories, the Freemasons are often linked with an elite global movement known as the Illuminati said to secretly control important human events and possibly have links to extraterrestrials. Now, Benjamin Franklin, America's greatest early inventor and philosopher, was a futurist who predicted anti-gravity transportation, a technology often observed in UFOs. To give an example of Franklin's um, mindset, wrote a letter to Dr. Priestley, February 8, 1780. And in it, he wrote, The rapid progress uh, true science now makes occasions of my regretting sometimes I was born too soon. It's impossible to imagine the height to which may be carried in a thousand years the power of man over matter. We might better learn to deprive large masses of their gravity and give them absolute levity for the sake of easy transport. He also believed that... Uh, there were others in the universe besides man. He said later when I, in another document called uh, Articles of Belief and Acts of Religion, when I stretch my imagination through and beyond our system of planets, beyond the visible fixed stars themselves, into that space that's every way infinite and conceive it filled with suns like ours, each with a course of worlds forever moving around them. There was a well. You've seen ancient aliens, I'm sure. Season three, episode eleven, was entitled "Aliens and the Founding Fathers." They both believed in other worlds and fascinated by uh, the theories of William Herschel. He discovered the planet Uranus strong believer in extraterrestrial life and thought it possible life exists on other planets in our solar system and even on the moon. And David Hatcher Childress uh, points out that the Franklin and Jefferson are members of a secret society of intellectuals known as the Lunar Society, which would meet to discuss these very topics. Now, lest it be thought that these mysterious entities only exist in... Uh, the Northeast. I've got a couple of stories that came from Alaska. 
I remember when I was in the military, one of my soldiers under my command was in, uh, was born in Alaska, and he had a bunch of stories to relate. Now, at the time, I thought it was really strange and far out there, but after some of the things I saw in South America, I was a lot less skeptical. At the beginning of 1800s, Alaska was Russian territory. It was uh, chiefly populated by Eskimos. And even though Russia allegedly owned it, they never established many settlements in Alaska. And in fact, the number of Alaska's in, uh, Russians in Alaska are said to never have gone over a thousand. It wasn't until we bought Alaska in 1865 and stories of a gold rush began to uh, circulate that we started hearing stories from the natives about the flying saucers and the strange beings that uh, were sometimes seen. One of the most interesting stories came from the village of Koyuk, located in the west-central part of Alaska near the city of Nome. Uh, I was given a reference to a story done by a reporter. The story was uh, dated uh, October 17, 1988. It was um, in the Nome Nugget, Alaska's oldest newspaper. And she had interviewed a lady named Lois Foster, whose family came from Koyuk. And the grandmother, she said, used to talk about uh, a silvery-looking disc that sailed through the air and little men that came from the sky and settled in the village after their spaceship became disabled. According to the reporter, little people have appeared and disappeared a great many times in many different villages throughout that part of Alaska. Sometimes they stay a while, and sometimes their appearances are brief and strange. People wonder if they've imagined the whole thing. Uh, according to uh, Lois Foster's uh, great-grandmother, Three little men came to the village on a silvery-looking disc that sailed through the air. And these little, little men were described as very strong, being able to pick up and carry large logs without any assistance. According to the, the native folklore, um, these little people should never be attacked because to do so would bring great harm to the humans due to the creature's vastly superior strength and weaponry. To illustrate that point, there was a story of a local reindeer herder who thought he saw the corpse of a large deer suddenly begin to move by itself, only to discover it was being carried by an incredibly strong little man who was beneath the corpse. Well, according to the article, the three strange visitors lived among the natives of Koyuk for many years, became fluent in their language, and adapted in every way that they could. And since they're all of the male gender, they couldn't reproduce. And eventually all died out without leaving any heirs. Many conversations with the, with the beings over the years, the villagers learned the little man had remained in Koyuk because a mechanism broke down in her spaceship, permanently disabling it. Strangers expressed uh, that they'd given up any hope of ever returning to their own home. Lois's grandmother uh, told her that um, she met these three unusual men when she was a young girl about the year 1910. And at that time, these little men were already extremely elderly, but were still living. 
estimated the creatures passed away sometime after that, having lived on the earth for over a hundred years, and nobody knows how old they were when they crashed. Now the story of these three small creatures that crashed about 1805 first surfaced in 1988 after a number of similar strange apparitions are reported to local authorities in the vicinity of Nome. Fate magazine had a story about it. I remember reading it years and years ago. During the week of August 23, 1988, there was a number of sightings of little green men in Nome. And these were observed at close range over a period of five separate nights by more than a dozen local citizens. They allegedly glowed, very speedy, would change color and be able to run over by a car without any harm. Now, Eskimo lore is filled with tales of little men going back hundreds of years, and the 1988 sightings caused locals to wonder whether the entities were the little men uh, Eskimos uh, talked about. Uh, in fact, that would, those stories is what got uh, the reporter, Janet Amasuk, uh, from the Gnome Nugget, to look into the matter. And according to what Amasuk said later, she'd heard the little green men's stories for as long as she'd lived there, from reindeer herders and miners and highway camp workers and village folks and people who've been there, there a long time. And stories come from knowledgeable people and also folks who are in no way, shape, or form knowledgeable. Seem to be part of the unexplained phenomena of the area. Now, Noma 1988 may have had nothing to do with the 1805 incident at Koyuk, but the reporter involved in investigating the story seemed to think that there might have been a connection. On October 6, 1988, issue of the Gnome Nugget, she reported on the 1988 apparition of little green men in Nome. A group of teenagers first encountered one of the strange creatures while out on a drive after work. Little did they realize that they'd experienced something that would haunt for the rest of their lives. About 2 a.m., they saw a strange green glow in a rearview mirror. They stopped, pulled over, and turned the car around to look for the source of the light. They approached the figure of a small humanoid walking in the center of the road. The creature that showed up in their headlights was no more than three feet tall, but it glowed with a greenish luminescence that seemed to be semi-transparent. According to the witnesses, the creature appeared uh, somewhat transparent, like a hologram, and but it gave the impression of a well-developed male humanoid. Had a chiseled physique, broad shoulders, muscular legs, and those of a trained athlete. When the little green man became aware of the vehicle behind it, it began to run extremely fast. And with the car in hot pursuit, they reached speeds of nearly 50 miles an hour. Coming up right behind the runner, the Teenage driver attempted to swerve around the creature, but wasn't successful and actually hit the humanoid, running over it with the car. Well, what happened at that point shocked and literally terrified everybody in the car. Instead of feeling a bump from having been run over the, the creature, the occupants of the car felt absolutely nothing. The strange creature seemed to, as they expressed it, flatten out. No harm came at all from being struck by the car. And having witnessed the, the event, the Teenagers left the area and went to town to find other people who could collaborate their story. Picked up several friends and returned to the scene of the encounter where they found the little green man standing beside the road. Now they were all 
number one, very surprised that they found him. But they said his luminescent body changed from green to silver. And for the first time, they noticed that it had bright red eyes and was emitting a sound like a dry hiss, a whistling hiss. Well, two of the more daring of the uh, folks in the car got out to uh, try to chase the creature. But it turned on them and actually chased them back to the car. Well, deciding discretion is a better part of valor, they uh, went back into town, leaving the creature alone beside the highway. Encounters reported the following night on August 25th at about the same location at about the same time. Hoping to further investigate the previous night's events, the same group of teenagers came back to the scene, bringing with them several other townspeople, including the station manager and engineer from the local radio station, KNOM. A total of three cars went to the site, and they weren't disappointed as that strange and luminescent being once more made an appearance. One of the vehicles actually tried to intentionally hit him the car seemed to pass through it with no effect of any kind most of these witnesses along with a large group of other townspeople came back another night for viewing on august 26th and this time they saw three of the little men same phenomenon was seen again the next night august 27th except only two little men appeared and that was to be the last night they would be seen, although for some days townspeople gathered at the same location, hoping to catch another glimpse of these mysterious creatures. Now, unfortunately, uh, the people that were known to have either been told the stories or had direct contact with um, the creatures, um, like the reporter and the one that she talked to, um, all died, which pretty much put an end to the uh, investigation. If you do any research, you'll find that most Native American tribes have stories they tell about the sky people who visited them in the distant past and acted as teachers and guides and spiritual leaders. So profound is their connection with these beings from the stars that a lot of the tribes believe they're descendants from these star people. It's often said that to Native Americans, UFOs are nothing new because they've always felt connected to outer space to the inhabitants of other worlds. Uh, Native American stories also told of the little people who imparted spiritual wisdom to the Crow Nation and to other tribes of the West. These little humanoids uh, are ferocious warriors, according to the Crows, and despite their small statue. These fearsome spirit dwarfs or demons are said to be no more than 18 inches in height and have very large heads in proportion to their body. And they gave no quarter to their enemies in battle, slaying about the hundreds using sophisticated arrows that uh, kill from extremely long ranges. Well, it turns out, in August of 1804, these humanoid uh, entities were first brought to the attention of Lewis and Clark Expedition. That was uh, our government's first official effort to explore the western part of the continent. Commanded by Captain Merriweather Lewis, and second in command was... Second Lieutenant William Clark. 
It was traveling for a time with a band of Jane and Sue on the Vermilion River in modern-day South Dakota. August 25, 1804, Lewis and Clark, 10 of the men, traveled about nine miles north of the river's junction with the Missouri to see the mountain of the little people. Lewis wrote in his journal, the little people were devils with very large heads, about 18 inches in height, and very alert for any intrusion in their territory. The Sioux said the devils carried sharp arrows that could strike at a long distance, and they killed anybody who approached their mountain. It was referred to as the Spirit Mound. The little people so terrified the local population, according to Lewis, that the, the Omaha, the Otoe, and the Sioux wouldn't go near, near the place. The place in, he spoke about, uh, the place of the little peoples, it was called, was in the, the Prior Mountains. Uh, that's a mountain range in present-day uh, Carbon County, Montana, and Bighorn County, Montana. The um, Lieutenant Clark's diary for August 24th has an interesting entry. Captain Lewis and I decided to visit a high hill situated on an immense plain three leagues north Turn degrees west from the mouth of the Whitestone River. The hill appears to be in a conic form, and by all the different nations in this quarter, it's supposed to be a place of devils, and that they're in human form with a remarkable large heads and about 18 inches tall. Remarkably, uh, are very watchful and armed with sharp arrows, which would they can kill at a great distance. They said they killed all people, who was the hardiest to attempt to approach the hill. They stated that tradition informs them that many Indians have suffered from these little people, and among others was that three Omaha men fell a sacrifice to their merciless fury not many years since. So much do the Omaha, the Sioux, the Oto, and other neighboring nations believe this fable. There's no consideration is sufficient to induce them to approach the hill. And interestingly enough, the shortest human to ever exist we know of was 21 inches tall and was an extremely rare example of dwarfism. For an entire group of individuals living in one particular area to all be no taller than 18 inches seems beyond the norm. Chief of the Crow Nation, Plenicus, was said to have several visions and dreams of, from the little people beginning at age nine that shaped his future leadership of the tribe. The uh, spiritual insight received from the little people led directly to the Crow Nation remaining strong even after most of the other tribes were broken and scattered across North America. The visions influenced Plenty Coos to promote education for his people and try to keep alive the culture and belief of the Crows well into the future, while other tribes lost so much of their cultural identities. One of the most influential of these uh, visions, the uh, chief of the little people, revealed to Plenty Coos that the white man would swarm over the land, but he took certain steps, the tribe would survive into the future. The vision showed him that the day of the Plains Indian was ending and the white man would swarm over the land like buffalo. But uh, he said the chickadee, which was a small bird representing the Crow Nation, remains because it's a good listener, develops its mind and survives by its wits. Based on this, it appears these mysterious little people had a means of knowing the future, and as a result of their warning, plenty of coops uh, came to believe the crow could survive the coming tide of white people if his people embraced education and sharpened their mental abilities. He also believed the crow would inherit the land in the vicinity of the mound of the little people. 
Well, in actuality, the Crow Nation did survive. And today, the Crow Indian Reservation is only a short distance from Pryor Mountain. Um, as was commented by one historian, indeed, the Crow people survived the deepest crisis of the 19th century, in part because of pretty, uh, Plenty Coup's uh, vision. Well, not much is known about the culture of the little people, but a recurring, a recurring theme is their great strength despite their small size. Sounds like the ones from Alaska. The little people felt threatened by the presence of 350 Lakota warriors who approached their territory. The fearsome, dwar the fearsome dwarves almost wiped out the Lakota, threw behind only a few men who were crippled for life. Another story of their strength, the crow told a little person who killed a full-grown bull elk and carried it off just by tossing the elk's head over its shoulder. From this, the crow created the expression strong as, strong as a dwarf, inspired by the amazing strength of these little people. And they're said to feed primarily on meat, to have many sharp canine-like teeth in their mouths. Further evidence of their strength, the little people are said to tear the still-beating hearts out of their enemies' horses. Also, the crow believed if anybody offended the little people, they'd utterly destroy both the person who offended them and his entire family. Well, in addition to their great strength, it's said the little people practice powerful medicine. One story, a young crow boy accidentally fell into a bonfire, leaving his face horribly scarred. He was given the name Burnt Face after that incident. Time passed, and the boy decided to approach the place of the little people where he was eventually confronted by several of the dwarves. After talking with the boy, the little people ministered to his scars, causing him to completely disappear. And they gave him healing powers to help his people. The burnt face went back to his people. He retained his name, but his skills enabled him to become a great chief among his people. In another story, as his family was traveling past the vicinity of the little people's uh, dwelling place, a small child fell out of the drag sled being used to carry him. Family didn't notice. The child was soon totally on his own. However, the little people took the boy in and taught him their ways. He learned their magic and grew to be a very strong in their powers. And using these powers, he stacked up huge rocks and columns and pillars just for fun. That created the geologic formation known today as medicine rocks. There's another story. The little people were a hunter going on a hunting expedition. The prior mountains um, had little luck. Asked the little people for guidance, and it told him he must first provide an offering. After uh, shooting a deer and presenting it as an offering to the little people, his luck at hunting totally changed. Curious to see what happened to the deer he offered up to the little people. He returned to the spot of the offering only to find the deer's corpse had gone, vanished completely. Well, it's been asked if archaeologists ever found evidence of the culture of the little people in the area of the prior mountains, and the answer to that question is a resounding yes. Physical remains of very small people reportedly found in various locations in Montana. They were found in caves or described as being perfectly formed dwarf-sized humans. Unfortunately, the specimens collected were lost by researchers before complete analysis could be done. Of course, skeptics immediately said the tiny humans were uh, an encephalic uh, infants or infants with other deformities. It's interesting to look at the various observations that have been made about these uh, little people. They were about 18 inches tall had enormously large heads, had healing powers, prophetic powers, 
weapons of advanced technology, the ability to communicate with humans through visions and dreams, physical and mental strength such as all the tribes around them avoided, and an unknown origin and final disposition. We don't know what happened to them or where they came from. All this, though, does seem to be compelling evidence that these tiny humans were separate and apart from the rest of humanity. Might the little people have been a crew of extraterrestrials who were stranded on Earth? Maybe they were exiled here. If they weren't extraterrestrials, maybe they were members of an unknown civilization remains hidden to us today, even today. Well... You know, though stories of fairies and little people may not sound intimidating thanks to their appearance in film and literature, fairies do have a dark side. Uh, TV series Supernatural included a six-season episode called Clap Your Hands If You Believe, which links UFOs to dark fairies. I'm investigating a rash of alien abduction cases in Elmwood, uh, in Elmwood Indiana. Gentleman found himself abducted in the crop circle, but uh, not by what we would call aliens. The aliens are actually fairies that disguise themselves as aliens in order to correspond to modern beliefs. And I've heard that story a number of times from, in a number of um, instances. Encounters with fairies are strikingly similar to uh, accounts of alien abduction. In many of these narratives, the witnesses encounter a glowing orb of light. They're often rendered unconscious, uh, waking up hours later with no memory of what happened. We call this a uh, missing time episode. In cases where the victims do remember what happened, often they encounter with the little people or fairy people include an examination of their bodies that seems sexual in nature, similar to what's often reported during alien abduction. The... Uh, You know, some of the stories we've looked at about a man driving his car along a highway, sees a bright light, wakes up hours later, no memory of what happened. Of course, he has vague memories of being examined by strange creatures, and if you swap the car for a horse and buggy, you got a fairly, uh, a fairy encounter of the old days. And then there are the so-called fairy rings, a little ring of grass and mushrooms that's grown in the shape of a perfect circle. Ancient Europeans and more recent believers are considered to be spots of uh, supernatural significance that can lead no good um, to other good or bad luck. Some cases, people claim to see fairies dancing within the fairy rings. And um, whether you want to admit it or not, these fairy rings are very similar to the UFO-related crop circles we see today. There was an old Scottish poem that uh, a listener sent me. Talked about the dangers of fairy rings. And it says, He who plows the fairy's ground never again shall have good luck. And he who destroys the fairy's ring brings upon himself need and sorrow. For days without magic and weary nights are his until his dying day. But he who passes by the fairy ring, neither suffering nor longing shall see, and he who cleans the fairy ring, an easy death shall die. One of the more disturbing fairy tales, if you'll forgive the alienation, and 
It's a story involving a potentially real fairy. The story came from Wales. It concerns a beautiful teenage girl named Shui Reyes, a farm girl with no interest in farm chores. Instead, she would disappear each day for hours on end to come home to her angry mother, who naturally scolded her for not doing her chores. Eventually, she revealed she was with the uh, Welsh um, Twith Teg, Welsh Forest Fairies, who wore green clothing and kept her spellbound with strange music from their harps. Well, for fear of the magical fairies, her mother didn't scold her anymore. One day, she didn't come home. And her family believed that the fairies had carried her away. Really interesting detail was that the green clothing, interestingly the term little green men, uh, didn't originate with the aliens, it originated with fairies. Many fairies are said to be clothed in green, not just the leprechauns. For example, something sounding very much like a gray alien, whether wearing all green or green skin, was killed in Texas in 1913. And many of these little people are in fact described as having big eyes. But unlike the gray aliens seen since the 40s, many of them also had facial hair. A fur trapper in New York State in the 1830s by the name of Bob McCain claimed he rescued a little man in an all-green suit with big eyes and no eyebrows from a trap near a river. He said to be weightless and he ran away from McCain as soon as he was freed. Well... We talked about a number of um, interesting um, factors, and we've run out of time for today's show, but the point I wanted to drive home is there have been bizarre stories of things flying in the air and little green entities going back hundreds of years. So these are not aliens from outer space uh, that just showed up at Roswell. They've got a long history. The problem is the dilettantes who have taken over the UFO field, uh, if they don't think of it, it can't be real. And the people with an open mind like Stanton Friedman, um, they've pretty much been relegated to the back seat. On that note, we come to the end of today's show. We'll be back tomorrow when, once again, we'll be talking about stories that are strange and unusual. Until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.